If we've never met, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it's my pleasure to be preaching this morning. We get to look at the Gospel of John, and so if you have your scriptures, you can open them up to John chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 35 through 49. So the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 35 through 49. This is God's word. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. They both mean rock. So your name is Rocky. I'm going to call you the Rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses, in the the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you come today by your Spirit and attend these words? Uh, we're, so, uh, we're so grateful for your inviting heart, which opens up the door of the kingdom to us and says, come and see. You'll never have to travel alone. I'll be with you. Come and see what I'm about. That we would hear your voice again calling to each one of us. 
and that we would choose to follow. I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, today we begin a new sermon series on discipleship. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be exploring seven core sayings of Jesus. Uh, Come and see, ask, seek, knock, turn and trust, follow me, abide in me, love one another, love your neighbor. This is what discipleship is is all about. It's the path that we're walking together. And I pray that as we look at these sayings of Jesus, uh, I pray that four things will happen. One is that we as a congregation will grow to have like a shared language to be able to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And in doing so, that each one of us would be able to assess where are we at in the process And what's the next step that you might need to take to deepen your discipleship or apprenticeship in Christ? And secondly, we want to deepen our worship together. And so for the next year, we're going to tie different parts of our liturgies to these sayings. Um, In other words, there'll be parts of our worship service that that allow you to come and see (laughs) And to ask, seek, knock, and to turn and trust. So that in some symbolic way, we are walking the path of discipleship every Sunday morning when we come together to worship. So I want to deepen our experience of worship together. And finally, I just want to talk about who we are as a church and how we're called to love our neighbors. Um, That each one of these sayings um, is a way of being and loving and leading that we want to live into. And so I, I pray that by walking through these commands with eyes to these areas, our culture, our worship, our personal life, how we love our neighbors, that it will deepen our walk with Jesus and enrich our witness as Jesus' people. And today we begin with the first saying, come and see. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, there is a handful of times where that phrase, come and see, is used. We see Jesus inviting his first disciples to him with this language. And what's interesting is after they experience his welcome, they move out to others using the same invitation to get people to follow them. And the lesson seems to be that first that that John wants us to see Jesus' posture towards us. He's an inviting God and he's always calling us to himself. Um. But also he wants us to see that those who truly encounter Jesus will mimic Jesus by embodying that same welcome. Jesus invites us to himself, and as we come to him, he makes 
His inviting appeal to the world through us. That's what we'll learn. Come and see. So two hopes for the message this morning. One that we would each be person we would ex- personally experience the welcome of God again. Perhaps it's been a while since you feel God call to you, pursuing you. I want you to sense that. And then secondly, I want us to ask what it looks like as a church for us to embody this welcome, to be a come and see kind of place. And so let's go. The first thing I want us to see about this passage is two potential disciples stepping out and taking a risk. The story starts with John the Baptist, who is a popular leader at the time, and he makes a comment about Jesus uh, in hearing distance of his core set of disciples. So John is speaking to his own disciples, and he says, there is the real deal. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so these two disciples of John, members of his inner circle, hear what he says, and they decide to leave John's crew to follow Jesus. Pretty straightforward, but I want us to consider what that might mean for these disciples. It was actually pretty risky. They had apparently risen in the ranks of John's group, become two of John's leaders in his inner circle, and they were willing to forsake that, and upon his word alone, follow this person, Jesus. Uh, They were moving, I'm sure in their minds, from a place of respectability back to the lowest rung on the social ladder. Moving from the inner circle to being on the fringes of a new movement that they knew little about. And so consider what that might be like from their perspective. I'm sure they would have felt like how folks feel when they come into a church for the first time. And they begin to risk on God again. And they'll have questions. Will anyone notice me? How long will it take for me to make friends? Is this a mistake? Is this just going to be like the rest of our junior high world? Where you have to earn your way in? I wonder what the cliques will be like. I wonder who the kings and queens of the schoolyard will be. It's how the world works, right? And certainly they would have hoped that the Jesus movement would be different. Uh, But they don't know. They're taking a risk. The next thing I want you to see is how Jesus receives them. It's important to remember that Jesus is a pretty big deal. He's the center of the people's movement for kingdom change in Israel. And brother is trending for sure. Very popular, drawing the big crowds. Everybody wants to get close to Jesus. So certainly these no-named disciples coming towards him would have to pay their dues, 
learn the ropes, earn their place. But get this, verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Jesus immediately recognizes them, turns to the newest people in the crowd and asks them a question. First, just what a man, what a joy to be new and skittish and to be noticed, to be seen, to be addressed. That in itself is wonderfully surprising. But notice the question What are you seeking? It's so interesting to me. You know, in Hebrew literature, the, the tradition that John himself is soaked in and that he learned from, the literature on which the Gospels are based, it's typical that when someone speaks for the first time in a Hebrew narrative, that those words will tell you something central about their character. And I don't know if that's on John's mind when he records Jesus' first words in this Gospel, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was. What are you seeking? Jesus, and we'll see this next week, was the master of the Yoda sage-like question. And consider what this question communicates about his heart. What are you seeking? That's the question the wise sage asks. Or the question that the person who cares asks. It's the question asked by the person who can give direction. By the one who wants to know your hearts, your dreams, your fears. It's a question that invites relationship and engagement. It's personal. It's deep. What do you want? What are you seeking? All that to say, this wasn't a leader who was demanding the, the, the bowing down and the, the scraping of his newest followers. And this certainly wasn't the junior high prima donna who's determining who's in and who's out based on some whim of the day. And this isn't the modern CEO who removes themselves from the little people and surrounds themselves by a successive round of supportive staff. This was an important person, a powerful person, who turns to the newest people in the group and asks them a question and interacts with them in this deeply personal way. And as Jesus says any number of times in the gospel, he's here to reveal the Father's heart to us. A God whose desire is to know us. And to draw out our hearts which his, with, with his sage-like questions. What are you seeking? Their response is interesting. You see it there at the end of verse 38. Rabbi, where are you staying? On the one hand, it kind of seems like an awkward non-answer. Uh, maybe they're just caught off guard and they say, the first, what is, what's your address? I don't know. 
Maybe they thought it was a little early to plunge into their deepest heart desires and dreams, and they were asking for a private audience. Whatever the case may be, their reply at first looks like a deflection, but when you think about it, it is really a a beautiful and perfect and fitting answer to Jesus' question. And it doesn't come out in our English translations, but what they actually ask is, where are you abiding? And the Greek word there is meno, and it's translated abide almost every other time it's used in John's gospel. And anyone who knows the gospel of John knows that abiding is a big deal to John. It is a big theme. It's... it's, the theme that he's going to employ in his gospel to describe what a life-giving relationship with Jesus looks like. It looks like abiding. And so you get that wonderful verse from a set of verses from John 15 where Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. There is a very real sense in which John's whole gospel is about abiding. We're told that Jesus abides in perfect relationship with his Father. He and his Father are one. It is a relationship of perfect submission and wholeness and complete love that goes on forever. And at the beginning of John's gospel, it says that Jesus has come down from heaven to abide with us through his life, death, and resurrection to make a space so that we could abide with him and his Father forever, so that we could have a space in the middle of that fellowship of divine love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so he says things like in John 14 when he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you will be also. Our God who has come to make a place for us with the Father in his house and in his heart. Where does Jesus abide? He abides with his Father. And if you follow him, you can too. Abiding is the blazing fire, flame of the good news. So without knowing it, these disciples answer Jesus perfectly. What are they seeking? They're seeking what every human heart is seeking. Lord, where are you abiding? And look at Jesus' answer. It is so smoking awesome. Come and see. Come and see. Let me show you. He could have said, let me tell you. Let me wax eloquent. Let me teach you. Let me command you. He says, come and see. It tells us something about the welcome in the heart of God. 
Come and see is an invitation that gives one empowerment to a person. It isn't overbearing or overpowering. It's an invitation. You can take it or leave it. Come and see. It meets a person where they're at. You can take a step of grace and not know what you think and believe about all of it. You can come and see eagerly. You can be cynical and come and see. Curious, reserved. It meets you where you're at. And I love this one. Come and see. It assumes that a person will never be alone on the journey. It assumes that there will always be a host, someone to walk alongside. It's the words of someone who's going with. Come and see. Let's walk together. I'll show you. I'll take you to it, to him. Come and see recognizes that our deepest questions are worked out in relationship. It's really beautiful. Where are you abiding? Come and see. And the disciples accept that invitation. Here's my translation of verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was abiding and they abode with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now that detail about the 10th hour is kind of Bible nerdy. And the 10th hour in the Bible is not 10 p.m. It's 4 p.m. 10 hours after the sunrise. And that would have only been a significant detail if this was happening on the eve of the Sabbath. Right before sundown and a new day began when they would be forbidden to travel. And so these two disciples get to abide with Jesus on the day of rest. Sabbathing with Jesus. What a great, amazing thing. And that experience of being able to abide with Jesus on the day of rest changes their life forever. And this is what I want you to notice. The first evidence of that change is that they begin to go out and invite others in a come and see way. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now there's a lot of little cool things going on in this interaction with Peter. But what I want us to see is that with Andrew being hosted by Jesus, what it did is it created a disciple who was intellectually geared and rewired to welcome others. Seekers are found because God has welcomed them in, and now they have a story to tell other seekers. And that's a pattern that John really wants us to think about so much that he repeats it again in the next section in the scripture. So starting in verse 43, Jesus goes out and finds another disciple. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And apparently Philip did because the very next action that we see Philip perform is going out 
like brimming with excitement, he runs off to tell his friend, Nathaniel. He goes to Nathaniel, who I think we're to imagine him sitting under a fig tree. And Philip says, we have found the one who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And get this, notice Nathaniel's response. It's different than all of the responses we've seen up to this point, right? Andrew and John and Peter and Philip, they were all eager. But Nathaniel, he be different. Nathaniel is a lot like most of my friends. Nathaniel is skeptical, little cynical, little jaded. Nazareth. Can anything good? You got to say it like that. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you might have thought that Philip would be discouraged by that. But notice Philip's response. It's so good. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see. That's exactly what Jesus told the first two disciples. And that's so good on so many levels. Because when Jesus had called Philip, he said, follow me. And the very next thing we see Philip doing is he begins to sound like Jesus. He's beginning to use Jesus' own words and posture. He's becoming like Jesus, which is exactly what following Jesus is about. Growing in the likeness of Christ. It's so good. And it's also good because he's showing us how we meet people's doubt and cynicism and hurt. Philip doesn't say, hey, don't be so rude. Let me tell you all the reasons why you should think differently about Jesus. He doesn't say that. He lets Jesus do the heavy lifting. He doesn't solve it, have to solve it for Nathaniel. He doesn't get up all in Nathaniel's business to see why he's reacting that way. He just says, come and see. And I find that this is what people need in their unbelief. With the wounds and hurts that have caused it. They don't want you to solve it for them. What most people need is to be able to find a gentle invitation to God. So that they can have like a Lieutenant Dan moment with God. You know what I mean? Like Lieutenant Dan, like on the mast. Just yelling at the storm. That's what people need. And you can't give it to them. The Lord and that person are going to have to work it out. What they need is that gentle invitation. And after that that, that gentle invite created enough space and curiosity for Nathaniel to follow. And then look what he finds. Nathaniel follows and he receives the surprise of his life. As soon as the, the two men, Jesus and Nathaniel, see each other. Before they exchange a single word, Jesus says, it's the weirdest greeting of all time. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And that's so interesting because the reader only knows one thing about Nathaniel. And what's that one thing? That he's kind of (laughs) snarky, that he's kind of grumpy, 
That he doesn't think anything good can come from Nazareth? And so Jesus had a choice of what he was going to say to Nathaniel. And he could have said, here is a cynic who is stunted by his doubt. Or here is a man governed by his prejudice of Nazareth. Or here is a man who is blunt and careless with his words. Or here is a man who's passive and sits around under fig trees waiting for life to happen to him. And any one of those things might have been true. But Jesus looks past all of them to see a person who is tired of lies and who is hungry for truth. Maybe all of those other qualities were there as well. Certainly they were. But would have Nathaniel's heart melted with wonder and joy if Jesus had named those first? Or would have he withdrawn in shame or anger or despair or embarrassment? And here's what I want you to see. John is trying to tell us that people who follow Jesus begin to sound like him. Begin to invite others like him. And so what would it be like for us to reflect on how Jesus sees people, which is apparently to to, to bless and to call out the quality in a person that we want to see grow. To see the image of Godness in a person. And to recognize that first. To be a come and see place is to ask the question like, what if beneath the anger of this person is a passion for justice? What if underneath the shyness there's there's a hunger for connection? What if underneath the bossiness there's like a capacity for leadership? What if underneath the loudmouth banter there's this prophetic truth teller? What if beneath the quietness is a person who's meditative and reflective? What if beneath the recklessness we saw the capacity for courage. Each one of us is more than the worst thing we've ever said. And each one of us benefits from a second look and a third look and a fourth look. And to offer that look, the deeper, the kinder, the more penetrating look is grace. It's the come and see way of Jesus. It's what the church is supposed to be all about. It's the gracious vision of Jesus. And it is a vision we're called to practice in a world that too often judges too quickly. Is there anything, after all, that feels lonelier than the experience of being unseen? or misunderstood, or prematurely dismissed? And is there anything more life-giving than the experience of being seen for who we really are deep down beneath all the fragile defenses that we, we ex- show out there and extend in fear? 
The invitation to come and see is an invitation to leave our comfortable vantage points, to dare to believe that we have been limited and wrong in our original certainties about one another, about God and about the world. To come and see is to approach all of life and everyone in it with this grace-filled curiosity to believe that each person is a holy mystery to us and to God, worthy of further exploration. To come and see is to enter the joy of being deeply seen and deeply known. And what happens when a human heart experiences that? We see it in the text. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Come and see. You just take a few moments to apply this. What does this mean for us as a church? Man, we want to be a place that embodies this way of welcoming others. This patient, winsome, inviting way. We want to recognize those who are new in our midst and who are taking a risk. And we want to find gentle ways to acknowledge them, to, to, to see them, to give them inroads in to our community. And that's why we say things on Sunday morning like, if you're new with us, thanks for taking a risk. If it's been a long time since you've been in a church building, man, we know that that can be awkward, especially with professional religious people like me talking to you. The whole time. It took courage to do this. Thanks for taking the risk. We say those types of things. We have that kind of spirit about us as a church. It's why we work so hard at Grace Chapel not to have grace just be something that's on our door, but something that we want to be deeply experienced. We don't want to be judgy. We don't want to be junior high church click world. We want people to be seen and not judged on their appearance or on, their, on our first take. Everyone is a holy mystery that comes into our midst. And we have a welcoming heart that says, man, you don't have to have it all figured out. Holy cow. Come and see. Join us. Take a three-year stroll with Jesus. That's how long it took for his disciples to get it. Come be with it. Belong before you believe for about three years on this journey that we're on to become disciples of Jesus. In our worship service, it means we always remember that God is inviting us to himself by beginning with a call to worship. Like the call to worship moment, that moment when we kind of all say the same thing that's on the screen is a moment when we remember that God is at that point knocking on the door, initiating with us, inviting us again to his heart and into his house. In our personal lives, it means not treating our faith like a guilty pleasure, like the television show that we watch that we don't want other people to know that we like. Something that we enjoy, but that we fear that those around us might not have the same reaction to, so we hide it, and we bank the coals, 
and we put a basket over our light. And in that process, we are losing out because we are the light. We're to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and wonder and praise about our Father in heaven. So when the time is right, we want to learn to grow in courage as a people, to look at the folks around us who don't know Jesus and say, come and see. Come and see. We have a long way to go as a congregation to to live in that space. Uh, As we engage in our neighborhood, it means having a hospitable posture towards our neighbors in every way, including our building. Our building is seen by many as a place where they cannot go. And we need to change that. And so we're doing everything we can through art installations and neighborhood gatherings and just being a place where help is given through food net and mercy requests. We hope to be a place that can again to our neighborhood communicate this come and see vibe that slowly changes our neighbor's hearts and sees us as a place of welcome. And for each one of us um, just individually, to be able to hear God's voice again today as we take a risk and step towards him and wonder, man, will he receive us? What will he be like? And to have him turn and notice you and to ask you, what are you seeking? Come and see where I'm abiding and you can rest with me. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this text and for being a come and see type of God. The inviting God who, you know, you could have, you, you could have gathered disciples in any way, but you did one in a way that's supposed to teach us, that not only invites us into your life, but teaches us the heart and posture that we're supposed to have towards others. And so I pray that as time goes on, that we would be a come and see type of place. A place where people could take that first step to ask the first question they need uh, to follow Jesus. And to be a place where that person who's been going for 30 years can again hear the Father's voice saying, come deeper. Come and see. There's more to see here. To be a group of people that can look at all of our friends and family and to to be praying and to sense when the time is right so that we can invite others to come and see and to be like Leah's little dominoes, like the first little Jesus person that causes uh, uh, many open doors into the Christian faith. So thank you, Lord, uh, for this passage in John. Uh, have it do its work in us. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.